John chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 37. And if you're able this morning, I invite you to stand with me as we reverence God's word together. The Bible says on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David, and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But the crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. You may be seated. In some ways, we have become a very outcome-driven society. We're all about outcomes. Unfortunately, sometimes that means we don't really care about the process we don't care about the means in which we get there. We get to the point where the end is the only thing that really matters. So someone can gain their fortune doing well and another gain it under false pretense or gain it through ripping other people off and what really matters is the outcome, the end. I know many of you are teachers and you have to face that all the time. It comes to the end, right? It comes to that big test at the end for so many. So much is put on that. It's the, the outcome. And yet we know that really an outcome for a student is how they do the next year in five years and ten years, how they do in life, not just how they did on a test in third grade, even though that's what a lot of the emphasis is. As Christians, we care about outcomes too, right? We care about what happens to our children, what happens in our church. We put in time, we put in effort, we put in resources, and, and we care about what comes out, or at least we, we should. 
Well, here Jesus in this passage is telling these people about an outcome. That this thing is going to happen, and then there's going to be a certain outcome. And we began to see these outcomes happen even in this passage. We don't have to go far down the road. We don't have to go far into the future. We see these outcomes begin to happen. Jesus talks about belief. Belief is that pivotal moment in what is happening in the life of of a believer. Belief is, is that pivotal moment where everything changes where we go from being far from God to being a part of his family, where we go from being uh, where we don't know God and we don't know who he is and what he is doing to to him calling us his children. Belief is a, a pivotal transitional moment. And when belief is put in, when belief is in our life, when it is present, when, when God brings it about in us, there are certain outcomes that begin to happen. There are outcomes that happen here among his disciples and in this crowd to which he is talking and also in our own life today. There are outcomes that come about when belief is present. And though it feels like we've been on three for a while, this morning once again we have three outcomes. But trust me, when it calls for five, we will go back to five or eight or two but this morning, three. Three outcomes when you believe. Three outcomes when you believe. First, in verses 37 through 39, we find that Jesus is, is still at the feast. And remember, this is the feast that he did not go to to present himself. He did not go up and receive honor and glory as he came to the feast. But he just he came to the feast in secret, and as he has begun to teach, things have begun to happen. He comes on the last day of the feast, the great day, and he stands up, the Bible says, and he cries out loudly. He's no longer calm. He's no longer reserved and kind of in the background teaching. He is teaching loudly. And he says to the people, if anyone thirsts, now when they hear that, everyone thirsts. And where Jesus lives in this climate, in the the heat, everyone thirsts. So this is immediately going to grab your attention. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This takes us back to chapter 4 when he has the experience, the conversation with the woman at the well. He offers her what living water. And here as he makes a connection to Jeremiah 2.13. He tells them, come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Isaiah 55 is one of my favorite passages on, on this concept of God reviving us. If you've been here many years, you know that a number of years ago we went through Isaiah 55. I I wrote a a short book on it. I, I love this. There God calls out to people, come to me. Come to me if you're thirsty. Come to me at if you're hungry. Come to me and receive what I have to give you. 
He invites them to come. If you are thirsty, come and drink. What is it dependent upon? Whoever believes in me. When you believe in me, you will never thirst again. When you believe in me, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. He tells them if they believe, then the Spirit of God will dwell in their heart. If they believe, in them, out of their heart, will come the Spirit of God. God's Spirit will live in them. So, the first outcome, when you believe, the Spirit dwells in you. That's what Jesus tells them here. If you believe in me, the Spirit of God is in you. Belief equals receiving the Spirit. There is no cost. There is no price that could be paid. The one who believes in Christ has the Spirit of God. Now we have a note in verse 39 to remind us that this hasn't happened yet. That it's going to happen in the future. They were going to receive the Spirit we see, we see that begin to happen at the end of John's gospel. Jesus, after he is raised from the dead, comes to them and he breathes on them and he tells them to receive the Spirit. We see the manifestation of the Spirit in the book of Acts when, when Peter and the other disciples stand up in front of thousands and begin to preach. And they preach in the Spirit. These men who were timid and scared, they begin to preach in front of thousands of people. And everyone who is there, everyone who is there from all over the world, who speak different languages, begin to hear them speak in their own language. Why do they receive the Spirit at the end of John's Gospel? Because Jesus has been glorified, as John says here. And they believe. They see with their own eyes that Christ has been raised from the dead. They remember, we're told throughout John's gospel, they, they remember all of those things that he had been teaching them for all of these years as they followed after him. And God brings up this belief in their heart. They had been in the upper room in, in John chapter 20. They were scared. They were afraid. And God brings in them this belief. And with this belief comes God's spirit that lives and dwells in their heart. I love the comparison here. Because Jesus offers them a drink if they're thirsty. And that drink that he gives them becomes a river out of their heart. The Spirit is, is multiplied within the believer, whereas the, the thirst was this small thing that if you think about it, if you go to a river and you are thirsty, you take your hands and get down or a cup and get down in the water and drink it, and it would only take a, a cup or two and your, your thirst would be filled, at least for that moment, right? 
But what God does is he doesn't give us something that, that keeps causing us to be thirsty again where we, we've got to go back again. He actually, within us, brings about a river of living water that flows out of our heart that permanently quenches our thirst. And it's so great and so powerful is this thing that God does in us that it then goes out from our heart Jesus will tell his disciples that, that out of what flows from their heart, they'll go to the ends of the earth. Friends, that's the power of the Spirit. When belief is present, whoever believes, he says in verse 38, whoever believes in me, the Spirit will be in his heart and will flow out of his heart. This should remind us that the Spirit is not a second step in the salvation process. There are some who wrongly teach that in our day. That there's this and then there's something else that happens later on. He doesn't say, if you believe and then you can do some other things or you do some other things in your life, then the Spirit will be in your heart and, and will flow out of your heart like rivers of living water. No, whoever believes in me the Spirit is there. Friends, when we struggle in our belief, the Spirit is there. When we struggle in our faith, the Spirit is there. When, when times are, are tough, the Spirit is there. When God is working a mighty work in our life, the Spirit is there. Whenever it is, when belief is present, when we believe in Christ, the Spirit of God is in our heart. That is the outcome of belief. There's not some second step or another process or something else we need to do. Friends, we're not saved by works. We're saved by the grace that God has given us. And this belief that he has put in our heart is, is where the Spirit dwells, not by the things we do after. Be encouraged by that. Because, because you might say this morning, Pastor, my, my belief is small. I'm struggling in my belief. I, I've got questions. I've got doubts. I've got concerns. The, the things that I have experienced have caused me to have questions about God and what He is doing and what His process is. And I, I've got, Here's the good news. He doesn't say you have to have the belief and a theological degree. You have to have belief and been through a 12-week discipleship program. That you have to have belief and be in the church for 20 years. And then the Spirit will be present in your life. Friends, when you believe, the Spirit of God is there. And of course, the reason for that is, it's the Spirit of God who has come into you to cause you to believe. And as He has come into your heart and, and taken that heart of stone and turned it into a heart that was receptive to hear His good news, as He transforms you in that way, you have the Spirit of God within you. The outcome of belief is that the Spirit dwells in you. Friends, in the dark days in which we live, do not believe 
that you are powerless. Do not believe that hope is gone. Because the spirit of the God who created the universe dwells in us. And, and not in some, some way where we look at everything in the world and say, oh, look, God is in the tree and God is in the grass and God is in the zebra and God. No. The God who spoke and everything that exists came into being sends his spirit as a comforter and a helper to dwell in your heart. We must also remember that the river does not stay in our heart. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What happens if you try to stop a river? Right? You, you build a dam, right? But I hope everyone realizes that, that if there is water coming in, while there may be a, a, a dam there that is stopping it up, they're letting some water out, right? They're flow, it's flowing through to make power. It's a little bit's going over the top, whatever it is. Because if not, what happens? It eventually runs over the top and it breaks the dam and the whole river goes. And sometimes that's what we need spiritually because we've built up kind of a dam to stop that water from going out. But friends, if the Spirit of God is within you, it will flow out of you because that's all it can do. There is too much for it to be contained within you. The fruits of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the self-control that the Scriptures speak of, they will come out of you because that's what happens when the river bursts in your heart. When your heart is full with the Spirit, it flows out. As Baptists, we've been reluctant to talk about the Spirit because every time we hear about the Spirit, it's about speaking in tongues and smacking people on the forehead and hitting them with coats and whatever else. Friends, the fruit of the Spirit is not smacking people on the forehead like Benny Hinn. The fruit of the Spirit is that you love your neighbor as yourself, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, that you're showing love and joy and patience and kindness, goodness and faithfulness that you have self-control, that hate is going away in your heart. Now, friends, if that's not true of your life, then you're not being empowered by the Spirit because God is, is using us as believers who have this, this river of living water within us. He is using that to lead others to Christ, to point others toward Him. This is the work that the Spirit is going. The Spirit has given us this great gift of our salvation, and He is calling upon us to take that gift from just being in our lives and giving that gift to others. The Spirit is a gift, and it's a gift that we want to give. When you believe the Spirit dwells within you. We also need to remember, because the, the tone changes, right? He, he goes from this passage where, where we hear this and rejoice, but, but the, the tone changes because that's what happens when the Word of God goes out. So a second thing, when you believe, you need to understand, when you believe, there is division with those who don't believe. When you believe, there's division with those who don't believe. 
Look what happens. When they heard these words, in other words, when they heard him say, if you are thirsty, come to me. Some of the people said, this really is the prophet. They go back and they they look at the Old Testament example from Deuteronomy and they say, hey, this is the prophet who, who we've been waiting for. Others, this is the Christ. Some will go all the way. It's not just a prophet. This is the guy. This is the one we've been waiting on. But some, some say, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Some have doubts. And they are not reluctant to express those doubts. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David, which it does, and comes from Bethlehem, which it does? Well, guess who was of the offspring of David? Jesus. Who was born in Bethlehem? Jesus. Now, these are the same group of people that not long ago had said, we don't even know where the Messiah is supposed to come from. Remember that? That was just last week as we looked at it. We, we don't even know where the Messiah, he's going to just show up and nobody's going to know where he's from, come from. And now, the same, the same group, people in the same group say, well, yeah, but no, okay, we, we actually do know he's supposed to come from Bethlehem. And this guy is from Galilee. And you may not know your Middle Eastern geography, but those are not the same place. They're two different places. Now, the reader of John, we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. His his parents went there when there was a tax that was supposed to be paid. They went to their hometown to pay the tax. That's where they were from. But the people here either know that and ignore it or ignorant of the fact. What happens? So remember, some believe, and we don't know how, how strong their belief is, but some of them believe this is the Christ but others doubt. So verse 43 tells us, so there was a division, a schism among the people over him. Some wanted to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Have you noticed, and, and this doesn't seem to get talked about in church very often anymore, but have you, have you noticed that when Jesus talks When Jesus speaks, when Jesus teaches, when Jesus heals, it often causes a division. Now, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to us. I mean, why is it that this man, who at a minimum we know is a good guy, he goes around and he heals people and he helps people and he feeds people who are hungry... Why is it that that would cause division? Why is it that anyone would be upset about that? Wow, this guy couldn't walk, and he, he met this Jesus fellow, and now he's up running circles around. Hey, that's good. Man, we were all out here walking in the middle of nowhere, and, and all of a sudden we had this meal to eat, and we had all we wanted. I mean, I would imagine for a lot of these folks, there hadn't been many times in their life where they could say that they ate all that they wanted. There was no excuse to leave hungry. They had leftovers. And yet, 
people are upset. But the reality is that not much has changed. It's okay if you're a Christian organization doing adoptions. But if you have biblical standards, we don't want to give you state funding. It's okay to feed the homeless, but don't tell them about Jesus. It's okay to have a medical clinic, but don't tell them about Jesus. It's okay to give people clothing when they don't have enough, but, but don't tell them about Jesus. We're okay, or our, rather our culture is okay with, with doing the good things, but they don't want you to do it in someone's name when that name is Jesus. So from here is Jesus' teaching till now, 2,000 years later, the name of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus cause division. And it's all about belief. When someone believes in Jesus, again, what happens? The Spirit of God lives in their heart. Out of their heart flows rivers of living water. So we have then no problem with the teachings of Jesus because the Spirit is confirming those teachings in our heart. The Spirit is guiding our heart. But those who don't believe, those who have doubt, those who make up an excuse, in fact, those who don't believe will always have an excuse, they want to cause a division. But here's the reality that we see here is that Jesus, when He teaches... And when he has influence, nothing can stop it. The theologian Herman Ritterboss said exactly like that. The influence of Jesus is unstoppable. Here are people that want to arrest him. Here are people that are sowing seeds of doubt. And yet there are still some here who say, this is the Christ. This is the one. This is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. Even though there is obvious persecution beginning to happen, even though there is an obvious problem for you if you follow after Jesus, his influence is so great, it is unstoppable. If you think about over the last 2,000 years, the number of times when people have tried to silence the church and the message of Christ, they have been unsuccessful because the message is unstoppable. And since it is unstoppable, it will cause division. And where we as Christians must come down is on the side of the teachings of Jesus. We must come down on the side of God's Word. Because we've become surprised with these divisions. I had a conversation just this week with with someone I, I very much respect, and he was, we were talking about young pastors and, and how we define young pastors, and fortunately, I'm close to still in that range, but the problem that, that younger pastors are facing, and you see this in our culture, is there is this pressure to give in to what our culture is doing and saying. And sometimes it comes from the people sitting in the pews of these young pastors' churches. To give in on things that the Bible is exceptionally clear about 
for the sake of unity or the sake of progress and ignore what God has said. And that happens because what, what people begin to see is they see division and they see other churches doing these things or other denominations doing these things and they say, oh, we, we need to do this and this will help us reach young people. But what we end up reaching them with is garbage. We give them a light version of what the culture gives them and what we give them has no power to save them. So they can be in a church and still spend an eternity separated from Christ in hell because they had a religion that cannot save them. So when we see division happen, when we see someone make another decision, when we see another church or another denomination say, say we're going we're gonna to do this, we're going to affirm this, or we're going to go in this direction, or we're going to change our, our policies here or our procedures there. Friends, what we do is not look at that and say, ooh, what's good about that? We come back right here. By the way, this is, this is half the Bible. This particular one just has the New Testament in it. So we take the other half as well, because we're not ignoring it. We take the whole of Scripture, and we look at it, and we say, is this what God has said? Too many say, well, yeah, but... But the world says this, the, the culture says this, Congress says this, the president says this, the Supreme Court says that. Who cares? Friends, all of them were set up by God, and all of them can be removed by Him this instant. But His Word his truth is not going anywhere. Friends, when you believe the gospel of Christ, there will be others who will tell you that is wrong. There will be others who come into your life who say, that is not true, that is not right, you shouldn't believe like that, you shouldn't think that way, you shouldn't do those things. That is normal. The question is, for you as a believer, what do you do with that? Do you give in and say, well, I'm, I'm going to, I want to have a, a faith that's more palatable to the people around me. I, I want to have a faith that, that, doesn't, that doesn't offend people or worse, hurt their feelings. Because God seems really concerned about our feelings. God is concerned with truth and his own glory. Your feelings kind of take a back seat to that. We don't intentionally go out to cause division. Jesus doesn't intentionally cause division here. He speaks truth. And what happens when he speaks truth? Division happens. Because some believe and they receive his teaching. And others doubt and don't believe. And they reject it. In fact, they want to have him arrested. When division happens... The calling of the believer is to stand firm, not to give in, not to be ugly, not to intentionally be offensive, but to stand firm on what God has said and his truth. And whatever else falls from that, that's where we must stand, knowing that when we believe, divisions 
will happen. A third outcome. When you believe, there will be transformation in your life. This is important for some of you this morning because you don't believe. All of us have been there. Every person in this room who follows Christ was once at a point where they did not believe. Some of you may have been very small children when the Lord changed your heart. Some of you were adults and and far into your life when the Lord changed your heart. But, But at some point, you were there in your life, in your sin, and you did not believe. But when belief happens, the outcome is a transformed life. Look in verse 45. The officers, so remember the officers, they had been sent. uh, We saw them earlier. They had been sent in verse 32 and forward to come and arrest Jesus. Remember, they've been seeking to arrest him. The religious leaders had been wanting and seeking to arrest him, but they had not been able to do so. And everyone around them probably wondered, why have they not been able to do so? All of us here as readers, we know why they've not been able to do so, because Jesus' time has not yet come. But here they are. So they they come back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and do they have Jesus? No. They don't have Jesus, but they go back. They come back. And the chief priests, the religious leaders ask, why did you not bring him? Now, it's interesting, and and, and all the studying getting ready for this morning, everyone seemed to harp on this idea. Why did they not just tell him, you know, just tell these religious leaders, well, the crowd wouldn't let us arrest him? Because that would have been true, right? I mean, you, you did not want to cause a scene. You did not want to cause a riot. There are a bunch of people who believe and follow Jesus. But what did they say? Verse 46, the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. The words of Jesus had caused transformation. Now, we don't know how much transformation it caused. We we don't get into that. We don't get insight into that, but, but transformation had happened. Because they went from, we're going to obey the chief priests and the Pharisees to, no one's ever spoke like this man. So the chief priests, they, they reply, and of course they're not happy with this. Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? In other words, have any of us elite religious people who really know what we're doing, have any of us believed in him? Well, there's irony there, right? Because... Maybe one. They say this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. In other words, all these people out there, they're not very smart. They don't have a lot of education. They don't have a lot of experience. But we, the religious leaders, we, we know. We, we know all the answers. And none of us are following him. So surely, surely, guard, you're not dumb enough to be deceived into this man's teaching. But something had happened. 
And these guards were not the same when they went back. But then we meet another person. Something has happened in his heart. Verse 50, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before. Now, remember the context, because often many of you might say that your, your favorite verse is John 3.16. A lot of Christians will, will say that. In fact, I've got a friend who his church, they, they recited every Sunday morning uh, together. But often we don't think about the context of John 3.16. But, but who heard John 3.16 first? It's Nicodemus. Nicodemus goes to Jesus by night in John chapter 3, and Nicodemus hears, you must be born again. And out of that, we, we read John 3.16. So Nicodemus has had a conversation with Jesus. We've never been able to know what it meant. But we get a little taste of it right here. Nicodemus in verse 50, who had gone to him before and was one of them. So he's one of the religious leaders. He's one of the Pharisees. He's part of the, the Sanhedrin, which was the religious body that made these decisions. He said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And the answer is no. Our law does not judge a man. We know that from Deuteronomy 1, 16, 17, 4, 19, 18. Their law did not judge a man without first giving him a hearing. But that's exactly what they wanted to do. Well, how do they reply? Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee, which is not true. The prophet Jonah came from Galilee. You see, this division is still present, right? We've got, we've got the guards. We've got Nicodemus on one side. Again, we don't know how far their faith has gone. We don't know how much they believe, but, but they're, they're siding with Jesus. And then we've got the religious leaders on this side. They do not believe. So there is no faith. There is no transformation. But, but for these guards, for Nicodemus, transformation has taken place. We know for Nicodemus later in John chapter 19, he goes and helps bury Jesus. He goes and, and risks his place on the religious council. He goes and risks being associated with the man who has just been tried and convicted and killed. He goes and takes down his body and helps to bury him. Transformation has taken place. Friends, when, when belief is present in our life, transformation is present in our life. Do you believe and act and live in the same way now that you did before you knew Christ? Is your life the same? Are your loyalties the same? The officers come back to Jesus. Who paid their bills? Who paid their salary? The religious leaders. They go back to their boss, to the one that takes care of them, to the one that provides for them or the ones that provide for them. 
And they defy their orders. Their orders were, go and arrest Jesus. And these guards come back and say, we're not going to do that. No one has ever spoken like this man has spoken before. There's something different about this guy. Have your loyalties changed since you knew Christ? Some of you may say, well, I don't know what my loyalties were. I was like six when I was saved, and, and I liked Legos before, and I liked Legos after, so I don't really know how my loyalties work to Legos. Okay. Then let's step back from saying that, that moment when you came to Christ and were baptized. Let's go back to when you were 18, 19, 20, 25. Are your loyalties different now than they were then? Are the priorities that you had, I'm not saying you got older and so you matured and so you, you were an irresponsible teenager like most of us were as teenagers, but now you're a responsible, productive member of society. I'm talking about, did the things you care about then, have they changed now? Your loyalty is not to yourself, but it's to the things of Christ. Your loyalty is not to the things of this world, they're the, the things of God. Because when we believe, friends, He transforms our life. Our priorities become kingdom priorities. Not our kingdom, but His kingdom. The way that we spend our time is, is reflected in that transformational life. The way we spend our funds is reflected in that transformational life. The things that we do are reflected in that we don't have the same priorities when He has transformed our life. Friends, that's belief. Belief does that. I think that's what we need to be clear about as we look through all of these outcomes. They're not things that might happen. Because so often when you, when you hear people talk about these things, it's well, the Spirit might work in your life and division might come in your life and transformation might come in your life. Friends, these are as certain as if you pull out your calculator and properly hit in 2 plus 2, the outcome is going to be what? It's going to be 4. We're not doing imaginary math and we're not doing all these crazy things. 2 plus 2 is 4 and that will be the outcome when belief is present in your life. It's not a maybe. Transformation will happen. So, do you believe? Because when we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who has come and died on a cross to pay for our sin, friends, it will transform our life. When you look in the scriptures at those who believed what happened, their life was transformed. Frightened disciples stand up and proclaim the gospel boldly. A persecutor walking on the road to Damascus by the name of Saul has his life transformed and he becomes a theologian and a missionary like there has not been since. Friends, that's not the extraordinary that is the ordinary response to the gospel. It is the ordinary response to belief. When we believe, the Spirit of God flows out of our heart like a river of living water. 
We stand divided against those who do not believe, and our life is transformed from what it once was. So I'd ask you this morning, do you believe? I'm not talking about you, you've come to church your whole life, and, and so you've got some knowledge, you know some stories, you, you're, you're at church, and, and you, you know some of the things that are said, but friends, do you believe do you believe that if in this moment, if God took you out of this world, He would take you to be with Him? Do you believe that God created the heavens and the earth? That He created you in His image? And though that image has been broken by sin, though you don't look like God anymore, He sent His Son to restore the image, the relationship he, he, he sent His Son to give you hope and, and the promise of one day being with Him forever. Do you believe that? If the answer is yes, then the Spirit is within you. Division will come. Transformation will happen. If you do not believe, this morning I call on you. I cry out to you. Come and follow Christ. Do not leave here not knowing Him. But in a moment, come and let me share with you how to know Him. And don't leave here without that. Friends, I know most of you this morning are believers. You believe in Christ. So if transformation isn't happening, why is that? If the Spirit is not flowing out of you with His love and His joy and His peace, why? I don't have an answer. The Scripture says it will. I'm asking you, why is that? What, what in your life needs to change? What do you need to repent of? What sin is preventing you from following Christ? Do you really believe? Have you ever followed Him? Friends, today is the day to follow Christ. Believer, follow Him afresh and anew. Follow Him as your life is transformed, as His Spirit is within you. Follow Him. Follow Him through divisions and hardship. Follow Christ. But if you've never followed Him, and come and follow Him today. Because, friends, He will change your life. He will change your life today. He'll change your life every day for the rest of your life. And He promises to give you eternal life forever with Him. Come and follow Christ. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your grace, Your peace, Your mercy, the love that we have. God, I pray that you would work in our heart during this time. God, we know that the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our soul. The outcome of belief is the spirit within us that you will transform our life. God, I pray that you would do a transforming work in all of our lives this morning. But God, those that are far from you, God, speak to their heart. God, give them clarity about their lost condition and their need to follow you. 
God, for, for all of us here who follow you, who believe. God, we cry out like one who said, Lord, I believe, help me believe. Help, help my belief to grow. Help my belief to expand. God, God, fill my heart with your spirit to the point where it must flow out. God, let me stand firm in division. God, let me stand firm when it's hard to be faithful. Faithful to nothing but your word. God, transform my heart. Make me, God, as you desire me to be. God, mold and shape each one of us. God, not to be better people, but to be more like Christ. God, lead and guide us during this time. God, transform our heart. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing this final song. Would you respond to God's word? However that looks in your life, this morning, whatever that, that means for you as far as what is going on in your life and what is happening, God wants to transform us into his image. Would you respond to God's word? And friends, if you do not know him, if you do not believe, today is the day to come and follow Christ. Would you respond as we sing together?